Hey there, folks. Welcome to the Whitfield Report. I am your host, Sam Whitfield, broadcasting live from NGC TV Studios here in South Florida. And I want to thank you so very much for joining me tonight. Uh, let's see. Can uh, can everyone hear me? My audio levels are uh, showing as a bit quiet uh, right now. Um, if the audio levels are quiet, I was noodling around with them a little bit uh, beforehand. But uh, let me know if they're too quiet or if you can uh, hear them. Um, anyway, as I said, thank you for... Uh, Joining me tonight from NGC Studios um, here in South Florida. And uh, it's great to be here. Contact info as usual. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at NGC. Hashtag Whitfield Report. Uh, hashtag Sam Savages. You can follow me on Gab. At Sam Whitfield, I'm also uh, verified over there. The Sam Whitfield, uh, dot com is my uh, website, and uh, Facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report. Uh, let's see. Alan says my mic is a little too low, so let me uh, slightly, let me adjust the gain slightly here. Okay, uh, hopefully that's a bit better. My Yeah, my audio levels are showing as uh, being better on my end as well. All right, folks. So uh, I was going to cover this uh, whole Feld Entertainment thing that's uh, been going on. But um, honestly, there's just so much information coming out about the whole felt situation that uh, I'm not really sure where to even start with that. So uh, Royce from ROTC might be uh, coming on uh, tomorrow. We might have like a midday streamer, something to that effect um, regarding the felt entertainment stuff. But for, uh, Tonight, I decided I would, uh, you know, kick back a little bit and pay tribute to one of my heroes, Andrew Breitbart, who passed away uh, seven years ago yesterday. Uh, Breitbart was instrumental in me uh, shaping shaping the show into what it is today. As I've uh, often mentioned Rush Limbaugh was the one who sparked my interest in politics and podcasting because he, of course, is arguably the most successful talk show. So I heard, I heard Rush Limbaugh and figured, hey, you know, he's someone who's uh, trolling people on the air and uh, you know pissing off the left and. Spreading truth. So, you know, Rush Limbaugh is also a huge influence. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it was really Breitbart who understood the way the internet works and um, the way social media works and who really helped usher in the new age of 
uh, conservative media. And he was absolutely successful at what he did and just a brilliant uh, man. He was uh, taken way before his time. And I I already see some comments, uh, you know, saying that he might have been killed or whatever. I'll, I'll get to my theories on what happened in a bit. Um, but anyway, I want to start off, uh, tonight's show is mainly going to consist of clips of, uh, Breitbart. Um, so, uh, where to start? I want to start off playing a trailer to, uh, hating Breitbart that came out, uh, well, the, the uh the movie came out back in 2012 shortly after he died. I've seen it uh at least 5 times. It's it's probably my favorite documentary. And uh I'm playing this for the newer millennial listeners who might not know who uh Breitbart is. This is a good uh crash course for those of you who want to know who Andrew Breitbart was and what he was all about. So this clip uh, that I'm about to play is the behind-the-scenes uh, special, so to speak, on the Hating uh, Breitbart DVD. Since uh, I have the digital copy, I obviously don't have the bonus features. So uh, this was on the Hating Breitbart YouTube channel. This is kind of the five-minute uh, behind-the-scenes uh, take and uh, it's a pretty good intro and I figured I would play it to start the show off. Uh, enjoy. Over. All the racist comments are over. Hey, hey, what that's have not, I ever said that's racist? No, ever. No, no, ever. Ever. What the left has stood for with political correctness is to try and get those with whom they disagree to shut up. Andrew Breitbart. Love him or hate him. His name demands a strong reaction. We are a citizen journalism army, and we're going to take this country back. Before his untimely death in 2012, he achieved a status few in his era could ever dream of, icon. I don't think there's anybody who understands the way information flows in the modern world better than Andrew Breitbart. <laughs> Hating Breitbart is his story, a champion to some, a demon to others. The scum that is this assassin, Breitbart. They had to hate him. They had to make people want to hate him. Because if you hate him, if he's a villain, if he's a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, you don't need to think about the things that he's saying. You can just discount him. My mere standing here is causing people to... to, to Filmmaker Andrew Marcus spent two and a half years following Breitbart around the country. We didn't know what the story was going to end up being. We just knew that following this guy was dramatic. We just felt compelled. We've got to document this moment now. The fact that it ended up blowing up into these major stories, I was surprised, but it wasn't unexpected. Breitbart's whistleblowing quickly became national news. One of the top amazing achievements that he had was the way that he rolled out the acorn story and brought them down and exposed the media in the process. James O'Keefe is a 25-year-old uh, independent filmmaker. He came to me with this extraordinary video where he played the role of a pimp with a prostitute. Let me make sure there's a code for it, okay? A code for prostitution? You might have to name it something else. The Senate immediately moved to defund acorn. 
Uh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, all of those uh, acorn videos are still online and, and they're they're hilarious to watch the uh, the very earliest uh, project Veritas videos. I thought about playing those on the show, but you know figured that I'd keep it mainly to Andrew. but yeah, they're worth uh, they're worth watching for sure. Andrew Breitbart despised bullies. And I think that in his mind, what the mainstream media was doing was bullying, and he just wasn't going to take it anymore. They wanted to destroy him, and we decided to destroy them back. This is guilt by association. Why are you so angry? Because you try and destroy people's lives through innuendo. Innuendo. You're the most despicable life form I've ever seen. Breitbart also made headlines when he posted videos that refuted a congressman's claims. John Lewis decided to falsely accuse, on purpose, the Tea Partiers of hurling the N-word about 15 times. He boldly stood up and said, I'm going to offer $100,000 if you can prove that there was one instance, not 15 times as they claimed, but one. He said it was a page out of a time machine. We thought they were going to hurl rocks. Uh, well, what happened? You, they hurled the N-word. How many times? 15 times. 15 times, 15 people. It is a provable lie. But how do you forget the most perfect story ever for Andrew Breitbart? The Wienergate story. The exposing of Anthony Wiener having exposed... The original Carlos Danger, folks. Anthony Wiener. The jokes practically wrote themselves. Uh, I mean, this whole this whole scandal could have been like a Coen Brothers uh, flick, honestly. And uh, yeah, it was. This was the beginning of idiocracy come to life. Closed himself. That was maybe the most perfect story ever. I was checking my Twitter account and somebody sent me the retweet. I clicked on it, saw that it was coming from Congressman Weiner's account. The photo showed a man from the waist down in his underwear. CNN puts this Breitbart guy down and says the most outlandish thing about complete innocent people. To be clear, the picture was of me. And I sent it. As he scored one media victory after another, his list of enemies grew longer. It's the people who hated him that are the most affected by him. Even in his death, they still tweet horribly angry things about Andrew Breitbart. Everybody put your cameras up in the air. The new media is taking over where the old media failed. He was a happy warrior. He was righteously indignant. He would spend all day fighting the battle and all night hanging out with friends. He had a tireless drive to fight this fight, but he also had a tireless drive to have fun. <laughs> I hope that what people take away from this film is that the picture that the media paints about people is frequently nowhere near the truth about a person. And you became the media. You took their jobs because they wouldn't do their jobs right. Thank you very much. All righties, folks. So that was the uh, start to our...
uh, Andrew Breitbart special. Uh, once again, thanks to those of you who uh, are tuning in. And uh, yeah, rest in peace, Andrew Breitbart. And to, hello to uh, everyone in the chat. Hello to uh, Hurricane Cat, Patience Zero, Critimy Timber, of course. OJ's right. White Bronco. Love having uh, OJ's White Bronco in the chat. One of the one of the funniest people in a YouTube comment section ever, of course. Uh, El Jefe managed to uh, sneak across the border again. And, of course, our favorite pirate, uh, Jolly Roger, is here, uh, too. Right in time for the... Uh, for the uh for the ship poster written. and uh if a- if Andrew Breitbart had uh lived longer I I guarantee you that he would have been into memes and ship hosting absolutely uh patience zero of course is here and uh random stuff PDX uh I think I know who you are, so hello to you, sir or madam, or however you identify these days, since we now have to, uh, you know, ask for that. Uh, So, honestly, people have asked me how I discovered uh, Andrew Breitbart at first, and honestly... At this point, I don't even remember exactly how how I discovered them. I think a family friend of mine uh, sent me a link to Breitbart.com and to one of Breitbart's articles. And uh, Andrew's writing was uh, both funny yet insightful. And uh, I absolutely thought it was hilarious. I can tell you that the first time I heard Andrew Breitbart was on uh, the old Dennis Miller radio show. Those of you who uh, know me pretty well, and for those of you who may not know, uh, also will probably uh, know that Dennis Miller is probably one of my all-time favorite stand-up comedians. Not so much because, I mean, he's not... He's not someone who, you know, tells overly crass jokes, at least not anymore. He uh, did back during the 80s. But uh, Miller is more of the uh, intellectual pop culture reference guy, which is something I've always dug as a a bit of a nerd myself. uh, And, uh, oh, hey, Trollita. Uh, speaking of intellectual uh, nerds as well. Uh, anyway, so this was one of the first times I heard Breitbart, which was on the Dennis Miller radio show, and uh, I think it's absolutely hysterical. I, I still laugh out loud every time I hear this uh, segment. So this was from when Breitbart was on uh, the Dennis Miller radio show talking about... Uh, his encounter with Occupy Wall Street. And uh, I'm going to have to pause this and make commentary every once in a while, you know, so I don't get dinged, even though I'm using it for you. So uh, this is from 
the Dennis Miller Radio Show uh, from back in 2011, I believe. Let's roll the tape. We are joined now by what I consider consider to be the contemporary rights uh, Benjamin Franklin, Andrew Breitbart, founder and proprietor of Big Hollywood, Big Government, author of Righteous Indignation. Excuse me while I save the world, the estimable Andrew Breitbart. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Did Ben Franklin like fart jokes with his kids? Mm -hmm. That's exactly why I drew the direct parallel. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> and uh, he had the massive horn for Parisian women, so that also ties into it. Uh, well, I, hey, I've I watched every Emmanuel, including the horn one. <laughs> Even Emmanuel in space before Obama dismantled the program. Yeah. Um, Tucker Carl. The role of Emmanuel in space. Space was to tell the space people that they were good at math. <laughs> uh, speaking of Emmanuel Creek, he's just back from three days in the marsh with Tucker Carlson. How was that? And well, what were you doing? I'm a sportsman, as everybody knows. <laughs> and uh, I watched a bunch of uh, talented sportsmen shoot pheasant. I can still say that I'm a pacifist, uh, inadvertently so. You you uh, you didn't hoist the anarchist. Yeah. Okay, some people are saying that this is a little bit uh, loud, and uh, apologies for that if that's the case. Some of these audio clips, I I do try and balance out the uh, the video on some of these uh, beforehand, just make sure that they're equally measured. But yeah, some of them are a, a bit loud, so uh, you know if that's the case case uh turn down the volume so oh damn i i think i lost my place so uh i'll just play and let's i think this is right where i was at so continuing on indignation excuse me while i save the world now i've seen uh sound bites this morning from as disparate sources as paul ryan hinting that Obama is uh, sort of, I don't know, fanning class war, and Ed Schultz talking about how this all could lead to a civil war. Am I a pessimist, Andrew, to say that um, I, I, for, I never thought I'd say these words, but I sort of agree on Ed Schultz. I, I see the country uh, lining up for something. I'm not saying it's a CGI battle in the movie Troy, but uh, there's something coming down the path. What do you smell? You're out there in the streets. Well, I've been following the same group of people. I went to Wisconsin twice, and I see we're literally finding the same people that were in Wisconsin or when I was in a confrontation down at a protest organized by Van Jones you know, against the Koch brothers. We're finding the same people at all the events that have happened since you know President Obama came to power. I mean, this was the organizer... Uh, community organizer, and this is community organizing. You're witnessing community organizing, and each demonstration, whether it be a demonstration against me and Glenn Beck in Chicago, whether it be a demonstration against Scott Walker in Wisconsin, or whether you see them bringing in the anarchists and the socialists in a much more blatant fashion like they have, this is community organizing. Uh, about your pessimism, there's an interesting thing. In 1968, it was the corner of Hate and Ashbury, and there's a juxtaposition here, the intersection of scary and hilarity.
Okay, now, it's very interesting that Breitbart and uh, Miller both bring up the whole Civil War thing, because uh, this was back in yeah, 2010-2011-ish, when the whole um, Occupy Wall Street movement was going on, which which really... Occupy Wall Street is really uh, the precursor to uh, Anonymous and uh, oh Antifa is the is the other one and Antifa is the group I was blank, blanking on and I've I've said this before to people Antifa is not really new Antifa from what I've observed is mainly just uh occupy wall street rebranded um and it's it's very inter- interesting because we were we were starting to see the left uh go violent back in 2010 but, but right bar here really predicts uh all the chaos of what was to come from Occupy Wall Street, and then eventually after his death, of course, it would kind of uh, merge and become what we now know as Black uh, Block and Antif and all those uh, freaks. So, uh, anyway. Uh, and that's the thing about this, is that when people look at this, they start looking at these people and say, this is too funny. There are too many bizarre goofy events, the way that they talk in their consensus uh, with their twinkles up and twinkles down. Uh, the, the, the people, you know, in the New York Times heralding one kid who lost his virginity uh, as presented to the tribe by an elder states person. I think that reminds me of the scene in Endless Love where uh, you know, her mother <laughs> <laughs> watched the, uh, the unflowering. Uh, so, it's just the the bizarreness and the the human spectacle and the funny stuff that's seen on T. You know, you just played bang on the drum. Right now, the biggest schism within this group of people who want to take over the world is the drummers versus the anarchists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if 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 that's going to be the the revolution, uh, I like our odds. What do, um, okay the the first one to break out into some sort of. Uh... Uh, violence, the Oakland one. Um, do you think like they have a, uh, I don't know, Harvey Keitel fixer character that is sent to the place where it's first to get violent? You say you see recurrent characters there. I'm wondering if they've sent their their black ops guy up to Oakland. Why did that break out first in well, your nobody eyes? Nobody was paying attention to that. We had a stringer who was on the ground. Uh, I can't say you know what in, in what employee he was, but he's a pretty high up guy paying attention to what was going on on live television and. It was violence and the group threatening the local television, which is sympathetic to their underlying political cause, but telling them they can't be there in a public park filming them going against the First Amendment. And then these people started to attack them. A dog sicked them. One lady, one reporter, um, whose first name is Amy, I forget her last name, Hollyfield, Amy Hollyfield, had a guy say, 
uh, we kill white B-words like you around here. Uh, and and they didn't even report that type of thing. The, the mainstream media does not want to cover the violent and scary nature of this thing because they weirdly sympathize with the soft, you know. Which is still even more true today. I mean, you know. I'm not saying that Unite the Right wasn't bad. I, I was one of the first people uh, in the conservative movement to denounce uh, UTR 1 and 2 when things got out of hand. Obviously, the alt-right is a bunch of spurgs and uh, idiots. But yeah, that was that's always been one thing that has really bothered me about the media and i mean obviously i'm i know how they work it's not shocking to me but it's almost like utr was the perfect opportunity for them to you know call out violence in the media and pretend to be outraged uh yet antifa a few years ago was burning down uh, Milo Yiannopoulos' book, signing events, and trying to cause all sorts of chaos uh, at multiple other conservative events and being violent as well. And we, you know, we never heard anything from the mainstream media on what they were doing. So uh, let me take a moment to read a few chats. We have... Uh, we have Russ B. Cook with uh, 444. Same with uh, Aaron Aaron. 444. You know, Nick Nick DiPaolo. Patient 0444. Okay, so since everyone's doing 444, this may be a good uh, opportunity to do some self-plugging here, folks. Uh, as you can see on screen. Yep, I've got it. I've got the right finger now. Uh, you can donate to PayPal. You can donate your 444. Uh, and help out the show at paypal.me forward slash WhitfieldPod. Uh, that's kind of my substitute for Super Chat at the moment. And uh, you can also uh, subscribe to the audio podcast. And also, uh, if you wish to become a monthly supporter of the show, you can... Uh, you. You can also uh, contribute at anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield Report. Okay, so uh, your 444 remarks are uh, noted. So just had to get a few plugs there. Uh, let's see. Um, but yeah, Breitbart and Miller were both spot on when they said that the left would, uh, you know, absolutely become completely violent. And this was back in 2010 before things really got chaotic. Uh, you know, push towards a soft socialism. So they understand that there's going to be a few cracked eggs. But it wasn't just Oakland. Uh, we have been scanning the local news tele television feeds. We had riot police uh, and, and bedlam in Albuquerque, uh, you know, there's there's been uh, in San Francisco last night. The riot police were out, so it, it's not just in Oakland where things have gotten uh, hinky. The uh, riot police in San Francisco often initially mistaken at this time of the year for theme homosexuals going to a party. 
Well, there's been a lot of body fluid uh, exchanged at a lot of these Occupy things. So if you're young and experimental, uh, there, there, there may be a place for you in, in the Occupy movement. Uh, the big government piece, though, put a, uh, a more, uh, I don't know, the subversive uh, face on this, though. Crowdsource this. Emails expose number uh, Occupy Wall Street conspiracy to destabilize global markets and governments. When I look at the crowd, I don't sense it runs that deep. Is there somebody in there, though, in a planning tent or somebody who's – are these the operatives you speak of that you see in a recurring – Yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say George Soros for uh, 200, Alex. Uh, yeah. Basis, that's, that's the overall plan? Well, look, the best laid plans of mice and, and people who have watched a lot of television and Simpsons episodes, and uh, this, this is a group of people who have great aspirations, especially in the planning stages, and that's what the emails that we discovered showed. They included Rolling Stone reporter Matt Taibbi. They included Matt uh, uh, Dylan Radigan from MSNBC advising these people what they should do. We also discovered a New York Times reporter who got arrested on the Brooklyn Bridge in the Occupy Wall Street thing, uh, consorting with uh, the uh, the socialists and the anarchists, and they were they were talking very openly about escalating things into uh, more illegal places, kind of like taking over banks and trying to trying to confront the police. And I think that one of the dangerous things about having the socialists and the anarchists who have been involved in this type of stuff internationally, whether it be in Greece or anti-WT. Yeah. Uh, patient Zero with George Soros 201. Oh, wait, that's The Price is Right. Damn it. Uh, yeah, good good line, pa- Patient Zero. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, going back to my early, earlier comment, this is nothing new. The mainstream media allying themselves with the, uh, the far left to, you know, to, to basically bring down the country. Uh, and the media, um, you know, we all we all know, you know what what their agenda is. It's uh, there's actually a great movie uh, called Wag the Dog that I I really recommend that you guys uh, either rent that movie or I I think it well I'm not sure if it's on. Uh, Netflix, but yeah, Wag the Dog is uh, a a really good movie, and I I highly recommend it because it it basically shows how the uh, how the mainstream media works with the left and with the government to basically organize stories. But they do it; it's it's a comedy movie, uh, and they do it in a satirical way. But it's satire mixed with truth. Uh, if Sam. Gets uh, to one k subs that equals Soros money. Um, it, yeah, yeah, that that'll probably be true. Although anyone who uh, has gone back and watched my previous stuff, where I literally make fun of George Soros by just playing clips of Emperor Palpatine uh, from Star Wars, because that's exact that's exactly what George Soros looks like is uh, Emperor Palpatine. So. 
I don't know if Lucas was woke when he made that decision. I don't, you know, obviously he's not woke anymore, but, or if that was just a happy uh, coincidence, or if that was subliminal messaging. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so please, folks, uh, also subscribe and share this and, like, let's get to a, let's get to a 1K and uh, then Owen can flip out and say, Guys, the cripple is taking uh, Soros money. He's with Wooshin uh, and Bob Topaz. Or, you know, however he, he mispronounces, uh, you know, Royce's name. So, uh, let's see. Soros looks like uh, H... Or Puffnuff, yeah. <laughs> no, Palpatine was was wrong though. Yeah, but but I mean, Jolly, look look Palpatine up in Google Images. Obviously not right now, but uh, look up Palpatine and then look up George Soros and tell me I'm not wrong. Okay, but uh, anyway, yeah. Oh, hey, Count Chucky, Chucky. Count Cuckula? <laughs> Damn, I, I almost called uh, Cuckula Chocula. Uh, then General Mills would be striking my uh, channel. Uh, anyway. So, uh, yeah, this this is almost over, but uh, we'll wrap we'll wrap this uh, segment with Miller up here. Events is that these people have sophisticated plans that they've tried time and again on trying to provoke the police into getting them to to fight them. And what they're doing is that they're taking those provocations uh, off of the internet and they're editing out that. And all you see is the police brutality uh, as they describe it when they're the ones who are instigating for the purpose of trying to bring people into the movement based upon sympathy that the the, the federal authorities have, have gotten out of control. We're talking to Andrew Breitbart, who has bigger cojones, quite frankly, than the underdog balloon in the Macy's Parade, founder and proprietor of Big Hollywood, Big Government, author of Righteous Indignation, Excuse Me While I Save the World. And if it does break out, look for Andrew with the Buford Pusser stick and fall in behind him. That's where I'm heading right away, because uh, this is a courageous cat. Now, how's your life, baby? You good? Okay, so basically the uh the segment is over. So yeah, my point in, in playing that was that was that was the first uh time I think I had actually heard uh Breitbart on radio. Uh again, absolutely uh courageous guy. So then uh I'm I'm playing I'm more or less playing clips, ladies and gentlemen, from my timeline of how I uh, discovered Rybart. So I guess the second part of my uh, of my education from Professor uh, Andrew Breitbart uh, from back in high school was this uh, interview where he talked about how the Democrat media complex works. And uh, the amazing thing about Breitbart's interviews is even today... He was so he was so far ahead of his time that even today you can literally take any of Andrew's 
interviews about the mainstream media from seven or eight years ago. And, uh, you know, obviously things have changed in terms of technology and blogs. And, you know, we, we were just uh, beginning the age of social media and of Web 2.0, as they call it, when, when Breitbart.com launched. Uh, and yet, Breitbart was so far ahead of the curve, you know, in terms of how the media works, pretty much everything he describes on the new media is still relevant today. So uh, here is an excerpt from Andrew Breitbart's speech with the interview with the Hoover Institution, uh, how Breitbart uncovered the Democrat media complex. Clip number two, let's roll the tape. Segment four, the theory, of which you have more in this book than I'd expected. Righteous indignation. A lot gets explained here. Marx and Hegel had paved the way for the progressives, who in turn had paved the way for the Frankfurt School, who had then attacked the American way of life by pushing cultural Marxism through critical theory. There's a lot going on there. Very briefly, what's the Frankfurt School, and why should anyone watching this interview care? Okay, first of all, anyone that reads this book is going to get is going to laugh and they're going to cry and they're going to get Andrew in all of his zany different multi yes, multiple layers. But there's one chapter that is like putting the medicine in the sherbet in order to get your kid to take it in order to get rid of his 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 fever. And to me, my one discovery, my one great epiphany, my one aha moment that I said, I, I got it. I got it. I see what exactly happened with, with in this country. The Frankfurt School were emigres from Germany. It was the equivalent of this, the Hoover Institution. What, the Hoover Institution is to Stanford University. The Frankfurt uh, School was a think tank at, at the University of Frankfurt, and they were social scientists uh, like Herbert Marcusa, Antonio Gramsci, uh, Horkheimer, Adorno. These were all a bunch of guys mm -hmm. in, in the middle of World War II who had suffered Europe in Europe, you know, two world wars in a row. And they had been fighting, they, you had know, they had been fighting the Nazis. And they were trying to figure out another aspect of how to uh, affect, how, how to spread Marxism around the world. You could go to Bolivia, you could go to Bulgaria, and you could go to the peasant class, and you could say, let's let's flip this place. The Marxist Stallman argument of getting the workers to get upset at the owners uh, was very easy, but not in America where the middle class was invested in in their their productivity, invested in the concept that they could have their own small little American dream, a white picket fence, that they could invent something and go from one generation be, to being dirt poor to being an owner within a very quick period of time. And what these guys figured out when they came to the United States, and Adorno is the one that drives me the most crazy, I, he came out to California um, and I think it was Bertrand Breck, the 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 the, uh, the, the East German playwright, moved to Santa Monica in the 1940s at the height of the Golden Age. Think about this: these guys left, these guys left Nazi Germany and Mussolini's Italy to come to California in the 1940s, and they lived by the beach, and they were depressed by the relentless cheeriness, the productivity, 
and the capitalism that they witnessed around them. And they came up with a, a they came up with at the end of the day, we could call it uh, cultural Marxism, but at the end of the day, we experience it on a day-to-day basis. And by that, I mean a minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis. Uh, it's political correctness and it's multiculturalism. And what it... Well, uh, basically, cultural Marxism and what Breitbart is describing is pretty much the uh, the essence of what social justice uh, warriors are. Um, you know, obviously, SJWs and, uh, you know, that, that that's the terminology that, like, that woke millennials such as myself use now, but it, basically what Breitbart is describing back in 2011, or whenever this was, uh, is basically, I mean, SJWs, the triggly puffs of the world, uh, the the just screaming mad uh, lunatics, uh, the the gender pronoun crap, the uh, the all uh, you know all cis white males are bad, and uh, you know. By the way, I, I made the joke in uh, ROTC in one of uh, the Revenge of the Sis is uh, streams earlier this week. Uh, Royce and Mersh were playing a clip of uh, a woman on the New York uh, subway system being asked to leave or asked to move because she was sitting in a handicapped uh zone and um here i'll bring this full screen uh i'll bring my camera back into view uh for a sec uh they were playing a clip of this woman being asked to move in the subway and uh basically this chick said no and she cited a whole bunch of bs reasons and uh oh she cited for female privilege and i commented uh, I super chatted humorously that uh, my cripple privilege would uh, trump her woman privilege, but uh, Mersh roasted me, kind of uh, deservingly. So I made the observation. But yeah, you're you're straight and you're you're white and you're cis. So her 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 woman privilege still trumps uh, your cripple privilege, and and, and that's 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 the truth. Uh, honestly, I mean, it's it's absurd, the social justice uh, Olympics. Uh, not only that, but I'm not sure if I've told this story before either, but during my senior year of high school, uh, we were basically forced uh, towards the end of the year to attend a uh, uh, an all-day assembly uh, held by... Uh, uh, Amnesty International. Yeah, I always, I always blank on these organization names. But uh, it was Amnesty International, and it was something having to do with, like, Awareness Day or something. I, I don't know. I, I I get ADD when it comes to this social justice crap. Like, it, I just tune out. Um, But I remember... Uh, the very first 
lecture of the morning. It was like 8 a.m. It was something having to do with rape culture. And uh, I sat through that one, barely. Of course, me being in real time, I was sitting, but what? whatever. I, I tolerated it. Uh, and I was... I had my phone out and I was checking Twitter like every five seconds just to escape the boredom. Uh, second lecture, I wasn't really paying attention either uh, until this woman started sharing her story up on the stage at how she had been uh, raped in college by a man that she knew. Uh, and she continued on and I wasn't really paying attention up until... She uh, she looked up from the stage into the crowd of seniors where we were, where we were all sitting, and specifically said to uh, all of the senior boys, "I quote, and you guys are all potential rapists. Every single one of you is a potential rapist." Now, uh, I just about lost my shit. And uh, I was super tempted to scream uh, something profane at her, uh, but I didn't. I I said I was going to leave, uh, and at first security wouldn't uh, let me leave. And uh, I said, you, you better let me leave, otherwise I am going to cause a scene here. And uh, one of the guards who was a, who's a good guy, Vietnam era vet, and, uh, you know, pretty reminiscent of the Clint Eastwood uh, Gran Torino type character, uh, who knew me pretty well at that point, basically said, uh, let him through, and uh, whispered to me and said, uh, you know, good for you for getting out of here, kid. It, it's, I agree with you. It, it's, it's bullshit. So, uh, basically, I went to the uh, student newspaper office where I was one of the editors for our school newspaper, and basically for the rest of the day, I uh, watched Netflix and basically played hooky while being uh, in school still, and nobody noticed I was gone after a while. But uh, my point in telling that tale is uh basically to show that yeah the this the social justice warrior crap has uh gone on for far too long and that was back in 2013 uh i mean i don't know maybe i maybe i should have said something but it was it was the end of the year pretty much and uh you know i didn't want to get i was like oh fuck it i'll be out of here in a few weeks anyway. So, you know, better to, uh, better to, uh, ditch and, uh, go watch The Sopranos or whatever I was watching for the rest of the day. So, anyway, that was my little, uh, tangent. So, but yeah, Breitbart's talking about the, uh, the rise of cultural Marxism and pop culture and, uh, you know, that was a real-life application of all that shit going down. So uh, let's, let's resume that clip. Hook <clears throat> was this amazing concept of e pluribus unum, where everybody comes here 
and contributes to this, this, you know, everybody becomes an American and contributes, but we have a common culture, we have a common border, a common mindset. What they did was take the haves versus have-nots friction mm -hmm. and translated it into uh, oppressor versus the oppressed. And, it, and, it, and, and this got taken up by faculties across the country. That's, 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 that's the that, point of the Frankfurt School and yes, the progressivism. They becomes embraced they, by 60s post-structuralism, academics. Post-structuralism, queer studies, uh, uh, African-American studies, all, that, all of that is pitting people against each other. It is anti-American to its core. If Marcuse was the, I'm quoting again from Righteous Indignation, if Marcuse was the Jesus of the new left, then Saul Alinsky was his St. Paul. Again, let me just put it to you in simple terms. Who's Saul Alinsky, and why should anyone watching this interview care? Well, Hillary Clinton wrote her senior thesis on Saul Alinsky at Wellesley. Uh, we, uh, Barack Obama is an acolyte of Saul Alinsky. He created the concept of community organizing. And what he did, as I argue in this book, is he took all of this ethereal claptrap this Noam Chomsky-like jargon that the average person couldn't understand. Herbert Marcuse is very hard to read. Right, it's all, it's, it's, all 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 it's all impossible <laughs> all right. to read. Uh, but he was able to translate this cultural Marxist down to a series of rules and a mindset, a warrior mindset, where the critical theory was like, take on your enemy, take him directly on, destroy that person. He applied critical theory down to the street war level. And I would argue that the Katie Couric's of the world, uh, the Chris Matthews of the world, uh, Rachel Maddow and Keith Olbermann, unbeknownst even to themselves, are studied in the tactics of Alinsky. So that in a nutshell was one of the first, uh, you know, this was when I was really diving into what Breitbart was all about. And, and so I actually saw that video after that whole, uh, you know, assembly speech that I, I mentioned to you and it all clicked. I understood what was going on. Now, the one thing I've also always admired about Breitbart was from the very beginning, he uh, he was never one of these conservatives who uh, was like, oh, well, we have to be, uh, you know, polite and respectful uh, to those on the left and we have to roll over and we have to show that we're, uh, you know, the intellectual, that we're, uh, you know, we can't stoop to their level and, uh, you know, we we must always be nice and kind and gentle. We can never be hostile or anything, and, uh, you know, Breitbart was the type of guy who was willing to meet them head-on, and he never stooped to their level, but he was never afraid to get his hands uh, dirty either. And, uh, I, <laughs> you know, that was one thing I always admi admired about him. He was a street warrior. He was a happy warrior uh, indeed. But he knew that the left was uh, declaring war on us uh, and declaring war on average Americans. And he said enough with this uh, fucking bullshit. We need to declare war on them. And uh, this was one of his first speeches where he 
Uh, talking of the left has declared war on us. Uh, also, Finn's gig with the uh, rrr, rrr. is there a, is there a Dell around here? I'll I'll get into uh, I'll get into leftists posing as right wingers in a little bit here, which is why I'm glad that Johnny Arcade is here too because uh. You know, Breitbart had something to say about uh, left-wingers posing as right-wingers, too. So, uh, you know, let's, uh, he had something to say about, uh, oh, and, I mean, Glenn Beck. Uh, Andrew definitely had something to say about, we'll we'll save that for uh, later. Because uh, it's going to get, it's going to get good. So, but uh, anyway, here is Breitbart's uh, speech on how the left declared war on us first. On it. What is wrong out there? We have done nothing wrong other than to do what they have done for years, and that is protest. And they think that we should sit down and shut up, and that is ending right now. Is there anyone here? Maybe I'm prone to hyperbole. I'm going to ask you another question. Is there anyone here in this room, raise your hand, I'm dead serious with you, that doesn't think that the institutional left has declared war on you? Does this feel a little bit different than the Democratic Party of our our youth, of, of, of my parents' Democratic Party, of the Democratic Party that I was a member of in 1992 and 1993, and I finally said enough is enough? This is insane, what we're experiencing here, in here. And the mainstream media, as they're losing subscribers and as they're losing viewers, they're doubling down on the Democratic Party, they're doubling down on thuggery, they're doubling down on spending on absurdity. It's almost as if they're intentionally trying to turn us into Greece. But, I mean, not the summer lovers Greece that you've seen on pay cable. The bad Greece that's in debt right now. So last night, I'm telling you, everywhere I go trouble, I swear to God this is true. And I, I'm going to end. This is another thing that Breitbart was famous for. Uh, Owen Benjamin thinks he's a comedian, but uh, Breitbart could have easily done stand-up because his mannerisms and the way he told stories were actually uh, funny and actually humorous as well on this note because there has to be a governor uh, or an ex-governor back there waiting for me to end. Okay? I went to Harvard <laughs> last night uh, and the night before I, I was to speak to a group at the Harvard School of Government on propaganda and politics. You should have seen me. I was writhing on the desk in front of these people in like voodoo writhing pain like Propaganda, I'll show you propaganda. Uh. 
Congressman Istook, former Congressman Istook was the person who invited me. He's, he's a fellow there. He's teaching. And he said, Andrew, I want to take you to, the, uh, to a speech that's being given over at the School of Government. You've seen it on C-SPAN when they have it, very official C-SPAN cameras all over the place, rows and rows and rows of people, about 200 people. I walk in. I swear I had no idea that the new president of the AFL-CIO would be there, Richard, Richard Trumka, and that he would be introduced by former head of the AFL-CIO, uh, John Sweeney. And he takes me into a green room, and we're just standing there, Sweeney, Trumka, Breitbart, Istook, and I, this is true, a photographer by the name of Martha Stewart. Not the Martha Stewart, but her name was Martha Stewart. And I'm like, I said... This is so unbelievably awkward. I wish I could, like, just say to Sweeney and Trump, I go, please admit that this is awkward. This is so awkward. I'm at war with you guys. But we decided to make small talk, and I went, I sat down, and I said, Andrew, be good. And I put my hands underneath my cheeks, and I, I said, Andrew, don't, this is his special day. This is Richard Trump's special day. Don't say anything. And so I got up there, and I, I, and I started to listen to him say, the other side's racist, we're good. The other side's homophobic, we're good. The other side's violent, we're good. Father Coughlin, Glenn Beck, they're racist, we're good. And I'm like, I'm dizzy, and I'm like, is he really going down this road with me sitting here? Does he think I'm going to keep sitting on my hands? And so after he spoke, I made a beeline, and I got in front of there, and I said, hey, 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 the only racism that exists out there on camera is you guys intimidating us, going after us on race, and you guys attacking us. I offered $100,000 to anyone that can show video that the N-word was hurled once. I told that to him, and he said, I was there, I saw it. Do you understand for the last two weeks we've been trying to find any witness? And I traveled to Boston, I turn around the corner, and there he is. There's the only witness to it in the world, the head of the AFL-CIO. I totally trust him. Here's how I want to end it. We... They declared war on us, we did not declare war on them. Yep, absolutely true. I've been very impressed with how the Republicans behaved over the last six months and not giving a single vote to that toxic, illegal, unconstitutional, and violently shoved upon us racist document, or whatever you want to call it. Nobody's read it, so... <laughs> we have an obligation to fight back. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take on the institutional left. They took over the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party did not have the backbone to fight these type of hardball, violent tactics. We cannot allow for our country to have the same thing. Please join the fight. Thank you very much. Yep. Not to get off on a... Uh another tangent oh hell we might we might go off on one anyway but um 
as I've always said, I believe that the that the actual Democrat Party, the actual true uh, liberals, um, died. The Democrat Party of decency died the day that Kennedy was assassinated. Um, if you look, ever since LBJ uh, came into power and since then, the uh, the Democrat Party has become more left. Uh, LBJ was a uh, avowed racist. Um, you know, in 50 years, we'll have all those niggers voting Democrat. That's not me saying that, YouTube, so don't flag me. That's, uh, that's LBJ. And, uh, you know, so you want to talk about, uh, JFK conspiracies there. I know we have, there, we have a couple of them, but, uh, you know, honestly, I do think that perhaps maybe the Russians or the commies got to JFK or, something along those those lines so maybe we ought to have a jfk show one of these days i uh i might have to put that up as a twitter poll at some point let's see let's see uh let's see yeah i johnny says i don't remember very decent yeah well it, it was after it was well after this was like well before any of this audience was born, uh, with the exception of, uh, maybe, well, yeah, I think everyone in the, in this audience was born post JFK's assassination, I would assume. So yeah, none of us remember the, uh, the days were decent Democrat party. They would all basically be conservative, conservative or like right wing people. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do I have in the uh, Breitbart tent? Oh. Oh, I know. It's time to talk about backstabbing uh, conservatives, namely uh, Glenn Beck. Now, full disclosure, uh, I have actually met Glenn Beck. And I've actually shaken hands with Glenn Beck before, but uh, that was back when I was a senior high school, uh, and right and uh, Glenn Beck at the time was still on Fox, and he was still a pretty. He hadn't gone off the uh, rails yet, and also I was young and naive, and uh, you know. I thought Glenn Beck's whole feel-good uh, approach to, uh, you know, he was he was kind of like a civil rights MLK dude or trying to do that at the time. So, you know, in my uh, youth, I thought that Glenn Beck was a, uh, a decent guy at the time. Up until I talked to some people who I'm not going to name uh, for, you know, for the sake of keeping their identities uh, private, but I've I've talked to people since then who have actually uh, you know worked with Glenn Beck, and they say he's not a very ethical dude. So basically, Glenn Beck was uh, 
kind of like Owen Benjamin, and only his cult was way bigger. But Breitbart, uh, in his wisdom, was on to was on to uh, Glenn Beck way before most of us were. So here's a uh, here's a radio interview with uh, Andrew Breitbart talking how uh, Glenn Beck screwed him over. I know Merch played a clip. Uh, similar to this last night on uh, Nightwave, this one is a little bit more in depth. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's 20 minutes long. But uh, I'll play a good portion of it because I, I think it is pretty uh, revealing. So, this uh, is one called Glenn Beck Goes Off on Coward Liar Glenn, Glenn Beck. He's dead to me. Uh, Andrew, let, let's shift topics. We've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. I know you've got to jump, but I want to go to, uh, besides on your website, the resignation of GoPro was big enough news. Uh, Glenn Beck made a very disturbing comment on an analogy or analysis he was doing of, of Newt Gingrich versus uh, uh, President Obama. Can you walk people through what Glenn Beck said and then what I believe you posted last night on your website? He was on Judge Napolitano's show on Fox. And uh, the, 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 the self-appointed historian of the conservative movement and autodidact, who's read a lot of books over the last few years, uh, decided, <laughs> that, <laughs> that decided to impart his uh, assessment of Newt Gingrich that he was a progressive, uh, that he cited uh, Teddy Roosevelt as a progressive, Gingrich that is, and uh, that Gingrich's actions and attitudes towards government uh, and uh, uh, appreciation of Teddy Roosevelt means that that uh, Newt Gingrich is a progressive, just like Barack Obama. And so if Barack Obama is a progressive and Newt Gingrich is a progressive, yet the Tea Party is going to side with a progressive and Newt Gingrich, then he can only see the only reason why uh, they would side with Newt Gingrich over Barack Obama is because of the issue of race. He played he, the race he, card. He, he play, you're saying that he actually was a race baiter. He actually said that if you look at what these two guys stand for, they're both big government progressives. So ergo, if and uh, this was actually kind of when I started to think, eh, something's not right with uh, Beck. Exactly, Andrews talking about. I mean, Newt Gingrich might not be the most exciting guy in the Republican Party, but he's certainly not a, uh, he's certainly not a, a racist. So, uh, yeah. Also, I, uh, I turned the volume down on, on the clip, on the, uh, clip. So, uh, yeah. Like, this was right around the time I started to kind of figure out that, uh, Glenn Beck was a fraud. I, I also really figured out that Beck was a fraud because uh, when I met him, I told him that I had my own show and he wanted to get my card. So I gave him my card uh, at the time, uh, said he was interested in talking to me. And then uh, a few months, like about a month or so later... I uh I heard through the grapevine that Beck th 
thought I was too right wing uh, for what he was doing with uh, GBTV at the time. Uh, but then he had no problem uh, hiring Tommy Laren on the Blaze just a few years later. Now, granted, I'm obviously you know I'm kind of I'm kind of a scraggly dude with like a, a beard. I get that. I get that I don't have as much sex appeal as Tommy Laren. Okay, I get that. But you know, still. I had been doing a show for at least five, you know, six years at that point when I met Beck. Uh, Tommy just, you know, from what I understand, she literally walked into the uh, blazer, whatever it's called, and uh, got the got the job right off the bat. So, uh, yeah. No, no, Johnny. Yeah, I. That's what I was just saying. I. I know that Tommy's way hotter than me, but uh, she doesn't have my brain. She doesn't have my brains, so uh, yeah. uh, so uh, no, no, she's not. No, she's not a cyborg, but uh, I could cyborg her. Take that what you will. Take from that what you will. You like Gingrich as a Republican or as a conservative, it must be because of the color of his skin. Well, that's exactly what he said. And Judge Napolitano, uh, there are a lot of Beck supporters. In the past, Beck has made mistakes, and his supporters come out and try to defend him because Beck is a coward and will not defend himself when he makes a mistake or lies about hold, a person. Hold it. I want you. I want to. I want to go. Hang, I want to go back over this. You're saying Glenn Beck's a coward, Glenn Beck's a liar, and you're saying Glenn Beck steals material from people? Oh, yes. I mean, this is well documented, and whenever he does it, he never answers to the charges. Uh, he's a coward. He will not have me on the radio show. He won't have himself on me on GBTV. He refused to have me on Fox when he threw me under the bus during the charade thing. I asked to be on TV or radio to explain why he had it wrong. Months later, we found out why he wouldn't have me on is because he lied to his audience on television uh, that he didn't do the Sherrod story. In fact, on his radio show, he attacked Shirley Sherrod, took the two-minute and 30-second video that we had on uh, Breitbart TV and on Big Government, and he cut it into 15-second clips, and he attacked her throughout the morning when he went on TV, he later found out. Hmm. Now, this story seems eerily familiar. Granted, it happened beforehand. But, uh, I seem to remember there there was a guy named, uh, Nimmer. And things were suspicious with, with that guy. We, uh, we... There was this group called the... The, uh, you know, well, there was a group of bears which, uh, tried to warn, you know, said conservative comedian Owen Benjamin about this, uh, fellow. Uh, said comedian Owen Benjamin, uh, threw said bears who were loyal to him at the time under the bus, um, and then... 
basically when, uh, you know, things were too late, he said that he was the one who exposed Eric Nimmer and tried to take, uh, you know, credit for it. So basically, uh, the ex-bears got charotted. Surely charotted, yeah. We, we, we got, we got becked in this case. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 I feel like every time someone says never, never, she should just go cra- crazy like in uh, Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Um, well, I'm not even sure Pee Wee Herman is that, is that crazy. Uh, more like whenever I hear, uh, Nemo, I, 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 I get the visual picture of, uh, Flavor Flav in my head whenever Nimmer pop, pops up. If you say Nimmer five times fast, Flavor Flav will, uh, just magically appear in your house and go, yeah, boy, or, or whatever he does, so. Someone, uh, someone tweet, tweet me that, too. Too, if there are any good flavor flav memes, feel free to tweet tweet those at me. Had he read my article, he would have seen that I wrote eventually her basic humanity informs her to help the white farmer, and that this article was about the NAACP. But he jumped the gun, and in essence, jumped the shark, and attacked her mercilessly in order to rectify the situation. He went on TV and tried to pretend like he was above the fray uh, and, and told O'Reilly to his face a lie that he had the prescience to see the video and realize that there was a context missing, and therefore he avoided the pitfall and didn't do the story. We later found out in our investigation, because we're being sued by Shirley Sherrod, that Glenn Beck eviscerated her and, in fact, uh, selectively edited uh, the audio into 15-second clips to make it appear what he wanted it to appear like. And we called him on it, and he will not answer to it. Um, He also has historically been found to take countless bloggers' content to turn it into uh, book gold, to turn it into uh, chalkboard gold, his infamous chalkboards. Much of them were taken from websites like Big Government, Virum Serum, uh, Matthew Boyle at the Daily Caller, chronicle dozens of examples of him taking stuff without credit. He will not answer to the charges, and his minions online like to defend him. And in the case of this one, uh, Glenn Beck is, uh, they're trying to say that he was being facetious when he uh, said that the Tea Party uh, is, is racist or the Tea Party must be driven by race considerations in supporting a new game. Let, 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 let me answer something. So, uh, like I said, I'm not going to play this whole clip, but just to sum it up, uh, you know, Glenn Beck was throwing conservatives under the bus, and he was stealing content from uh, other conservative news sites like the government and like uh, Breitbart.com and uh, the Daily Caller. Uh, So... I think you guys, uh, see my comparison, uh, so make of that what you will. 
all I know is that I've seen, you know, I've seen some people saying that if, uh, you know, if, if Breitbart were here, he would not want you punching uh, right. That's the message that I've gotten from some people uh, online. People are always asking, well, why why are you going after, uh, you know, people like Owen Benjamin? Or, you know, he's, he's a fellow conservative. Uh, you know, no, he's not. So, and we've pretty much proven that. Uh, Breitbart was, you know, granted Breitbart did want to go after the left and he was pretty, uh, you know, he was, he was pretty strict on hamming them, but he was also, uh, you know, he was also pretty, uh, diligent about calling out, uh, you know, uh, Trojan horses as well, and Beck was one of them, so, uh, you know, take what you will from, from that clip, uh, that's my take on this. Uh, so, we're almost at an hour 15 minutes, I don't want to, uh, take up too much more time, because, granted, it is getting late. Uh, although this hour has just flown by fast. So, um, to answer the big question, was Breitbart, uh, murdered? I don't, you know, I don't really know. Uh, there are moments in time where I think that he was murdered because obviously the timing of when his CPAC speech was and him saying that we have documents on Obama, uh, that does seem suspicious. However, uh, there are people like Lair O'Connor who worked for Breitbart from uh, day one alongside Andrew and was one of uh, Breitbart's closest friends. This was what he had to say about Breitbart's death the uh, the day after... Breitbart passed away. This was on uh, Lair O'Connor's old show from uh, Blog Talk Radio, which I used to tune into a couple times. So this was Lair O'Connor on Andrew Breitbart's death. Uh, this was what this is what he had to say. Uh, he said that. Breitbart's death was of uh, natural causes, and you'll hear some of the reactions that he had to this. And uh, so I'm going to play this for you and uh, take from it what you will. Clip number four. Roll the tape. It was overwhelming. Um, so I do want to get to your calls. I want to hit one article here first. Uh, and get that out of the way, because a, a lot of people, a lot of good, sane, rational friends of mine who uh, I, I know and respect have pulled me aside if they've seen me personally or sent me emails or sent me messages saying, geez, do you, you know, what do you think really happened here? And, uh, you know, what did they got him, didn't they? They got him. And. Uh, Here's the deal, guys. Uh, 
well, I know exactly what you all know, which is in the coroner's office confirmed today that this was definitely heart related. And uh, I think that it's been made somewhat public now that uh, that this is not the first uh, incident that Andrew had with his heart. Now, a lot of people have said, oh, we heard that Andrew's father also had heart conditions and maybe this was a hereditary thing. Uh, please understand that Andrew is, is uh, adopted. So the fact that his father had heart problems is not connected to this at all, obviously. Um, but there's one thing in particular that I really want to address. And that is this whole idea that um, he was in some way targeted because he has been dealing with this very volatile and dangerous information and that he has all these enemies who are, you know, trying to get him because of this, because of these uh, tapes that he said he had at CPAC. And most specifically, I want to address this again. I'm not going to say who is saying it, and I'm not saying the website because they don't deserve it. And let me let me put it this way. Let me let me start this out by saying this. Anything that you see or hear on the radio or, or see on the Internet out there that has uh, stuff that they think is in some way validated and in some way backs up the idea that that Andrew was the victim of some nefarious, horrible plot. I guarantee you, I am telling you right now, I guarantee you unambiguously that not one of those people that are on the radio and not one of those people who have written anything on the Internet has spoken to anybody that actually knows the facts. They have not spoken to Andrew's family. They have not spoken to Andrew's closest work associates. I know this for a fact. So, so you need to understand that and put that in perspective when you read all of these things, all of this inside information. Let me tell you something. There are probably six people in this world who have any kind of inside information, and none of them have spoken to any of these people. Now, let me just let me just nail this thing down right now because this is the thing that has been, been most provocative, and this is the thing that so many people have been hammering on, and that is this quote of Andrew Breitbart saying, "Wait till they see what happens March 1st. I understand that sounds so creepy, right? Let me read this. In a stunning coincidence, it appears Andrew Breitbart suffered his untimely death just hours before he was set to release damning video footage that could have sunk Barack Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Okay, that, that entire paragraph is a fairy tale, an absolute fairy tale. Moving on. Around three weeks ago, in February 9th, on February 9th, during the Blog Bash event in Washington, D.C., Breitbart made a prophetic comment that takes on a somewhat chilling nature given the fact that he died in the early hours of March 1st. Speaking to Lawrence Sinclair of Sinclair News, Breitbart stated, wait till they see what happens March 1st. Now, Andrew did say, wait till they see what happens March 1st. Andrew Breitbart said that. Let me go on. Now, now I want you to hear this sentence really clearly because this, you know, we expect this from left-wing media. So we're kind of used to looking for how sentences are constructed. Listen to how this sentence is constructed. It's almost certain that Breitbart was referring to his plan to release damning footage of President Obama that he had been promising to reveal throughout the month of February. It's 
That is a heck of a statement. It's almost certain that Breitbart was referring to. Really? Now, now who did this writer research that with to make sure that it is almost certain? Why, what could he have possibly been saying when he said, wait till they see what happens on March 1st? I'll give you a hint. There's nothing in this article that I'm reading that says anything about the fact that he has been pouring all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his resources into a complete and total radical redesign of his websites. And, and guess what the completion date was? Guess what the date was that the designers had to contractually adhere to? Go ahead. Take a guess. Why that would be March 1st. Larry is, of course, uh, referring to the redesign that happened on uh, Breitbart.com, which uh, hasn't changed since 2012 too much. But if you go back to uh, like pre pre redesign, Breitbart kind of looked like the Drudge Report. It was just mainly on a white uh, background, uh, so. Yeah. Uh, Shoney brings up a good point. Andrew told Podesta to of himself long before Podesta's emails were released. So, uh, yeah, that's a good point, too. Anything that Andrew said over the last month about ramping up toward March 1st, about what was going to happen March 1st or the first week of March, it was all about his site. He is so excited for you to see his site. One other thing. Andrew was right. There is a story that involves video and it involves President Obama during his university days. But this sentence here that describes it damning video footage that could have sunk Barack Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Andrew never said that. He never characterized the videotapes that way, ever. What he said at CPAC, I was there, I was in the room, it's on video, go look at it. What he said was, we are going to vet this president in the way the mainstream media didn't do in 2008. There was no big government then. There was no big Hollywood then. There was no big journalism then. Andrew Breitbart's sites launched two weeks before Barack Obama was inaugurated. The entire vetting process was, just went by without any comment. Andrew had nothing to say about it. He made it clear to all of us that this was our time. This was our opportunity to finally vet this man. And it would begin with this story. Furthermore, in the last editorial meeting that Mr. Breitbart had with his staff, we talked about all of the stories that we had to launch this new site with. Now, let me ask you something. If he had damning video footage that would have sunk Barack Obama's 2012 re-election campaign, first of all, do you think he would have waited? <laughs> no, he might have. But secondly, don't you think that's what he would have run 
on the day the site's launched. Well, you'll have to tune in to see if that's what our number one story is when we launch the sites. Anyone who is repeating this stuff, who's passing it on, who is saying, oh, you know, look what he said. Oh, this is, you know, they got, they went after him because of this. They're just really low and they're being disrespectful. And it bothers me quite a bit. It really bothers me because I'm hearing this stuff from people who, who are friends. Uh, and none of the people who went public with this and published this stuff and went on the radio and said these things or speculated about these things, none of them have called or emailed to ask. None of them. So... I can understand Larry's frustration, certainly. Uh, that was why when I interviewed Ben Shapiro, and unfortunately, that, uh, unfortunately I couldn't find the clip of this in my uh, library, so I might have to pull that up in a future episode. But that was one of the first things I asked, was uh, whether or not he thought that Breitbart passed away of natural cause or he was assassinated uh ben told me and this was back in 2013 when i interviewed him that breitbart had a heart condition um that he was adopted so no one knew of this heart condition so uh he said that the, the chances of breitbart being assassinated were highly unlikely in his opinion and that there there was no way um, is it possible, in my opinion, that he could have been assassinated, uh, you know, through like a heart attack gun? Sure. Uh, could he have had a heart attack and just died of natural causes? That was, uh, entirely possible too. At, at this point, he was also really going hard at, uh, Occupy Wall Street and screaming, at leftists confronting them, all which is very stressful, uh, you know, physically. And, uh, you know, he could have been killed. He could have worked himself up in, into a frenzy. And, you know, um, I mean, bottom line, the fact that he, that he passed away at such a young age was tragic. Um, just as a whole... And uh, we're gonna miss him. I, we, I still miss him. And uh, but yet, because of his work, I feel inspired to continue doing what I do. I really do feel that podcasting is what I've been called to do. And uh, so you know, I'm gonna keep on fighting the good fight for as long as I can. And I want to thank each and every one of you who have uh, joined the Savage Sam crew. Which, by the way, that's not even my uh, nickname. I'm not even the one who came up with that. Um, I've got to give credit to, I believe, uh, Joshua Rogers Sr. Uh, came up with that uh, term. And... Um, I know I said savage Sam. I didn't say it. I didn't say asshole. Uh, but um, anyway, 
I want to thank all of you who have joined the Savage uh, Sam community. And uh, just thanks to all of you who have joined. And we're going to keep going. We're going to keep uh, exposing the left. So uh, anyway, folks, I want to leave you with uh, one final moment for Andrew Breitbart. This this was what a stand-up guy he, he was and really showed his character and who he was, how he was just willing to, you know, stand beside anyone who was willing to uh, fight for the truth with him. And, uh, you know, he was just an awesome guy. So this was a deleted scene from uh, Hating Breitbart. I wish they had included this in the movie, but uh, this really speaks to his character. I had one moment where the, the the acorn thing started and you can talk to Doug Giles. He didn't know me from Adam. And I talked to him for about four hours on the phone in Quincy, Illinois, when you guys were, were you there inside of the bar and, I, and uh, the first night that we got there and I get a phone call. He goes, this is my daughter. He goes, I'm trusting you with her. I go, I get it, sir. I said, I'm going to treat her like she's my daughter. And that's how that's like when 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 sources come to me, instead of going to the New York Times or to the to the New York Times that have vast resources, they're coming to this goofball who works out of a basement most of the time in West Los Angeles. And all I can do is tell my sources or the parents of my sources that I'm going to march with them and whatever their peril is will be my peril. And if I have to act like a rodeo clown to divert attention from them uh, so that they're protected, I'll do it. And that's one of the reasons why I think people come to me is because they know that I'm that I'm not just using and abusing them, that I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm going to fight with them, next to them, and protect them as much as humanly possible. Andrew was indeed a uh, absolutely stand-up guy. He uh, he's still remembered, and he's uh, his his practices are still uh, utilized by at least at least some of us. Um, I get that there are a lot of uh, people who have glommed on to the conservative movement uh, as a cash grab, and who have uh, glommed on to the MAGA train to boost their popularity, but. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that I've stayed true to my roots and, uh, you know, I want to thank all of you who have joined in on this fun, uh, adventure that we, uh, call the Whitfield Report. Uh, I also want to thank the gentleman who, uh, PayPal'd me $5. Uh, I don't know if if you wanted your name uh, announced, I'll, I'll keep your name uh, anonymous. There was no message. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, anyway, folks, I want to thank you all for uh, tuning into the program. From all of us here at NGC Studios, have a good night. God bless and God save this great nation. God bless Andrew Breitbart and uh, rest in peace. I never got to meet you uh, in this life, but I hope to... Uh, Meet you in the next life and maybe have a few beers with you, sir.
So uh, until next time, folks, God bless and God save this great nation. Hey there, folks. If you've made it this far to the end of the podcast, I'd like to thank you very much for listening to the show. You are the ones that make it possible for me to uh, make an income from podcasting, and I greatly appreciate that just by listening to our show. You are helping us gain ad revenue. However, if you would really like to uh, help support the show, I encourage you to please donate to the podcast and become a supporter of the show you can head over to anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield report and click the support this podcast button and uh, choose the amount that suits you to support the show or you can click the link in the show notes and it will directly uh, take you to that page if you can support the podcast I really really appreciate that Anything that you can do to uh, help out is greatly appreciated, even if you can't afford to uh, help financially support the podcast. I encourage you to please go on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and please leave this podcast a positive five-star review. That really helps us out here at the Whitfield Report. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next episode.